Welcome to Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and grow a business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, and in this episode, we have Abere Anosike, founder and CEO of Thank You Kindly, a company that is personalizing and revolutionizing corporate gift giving. And in this episode, we go through how this company got started, Abere's decision to go full time with the business, her business model, and how she determined pricing, the effects that COVID had on her company, how they personalize and source their gifts. And so much more in this episode. As always, the show notes are at justgogrind.com slash podcast. And you can support the show by leaving a rating and review over in Apple Podcasts. Without further ado, here is Abere Anosike, founder and CEO of Thank You Kindly. Abere, welcome to the show. Thank you kindly. Happy to be here. Yeah, so excited to get you on and talk all about your company. And and with Thank You Kindly, how did this uh, get started in the first place? I'm just curious. Yeah, that's a really great question. Uh, so I was leading a global enterprise sales development team for another tech startup. Uh, and at the time, we worked really hard to figure out how to drive more meetings, how to get more, um, just get that foot in the door to pitch just a small tier of prospects that we knew once we had that meeting, we would be very likely to close. And so we invested really heavily in getting those first meetings and tried out so many different types of things and forms of engagement. Uh, And there was one time we just tried out this small scale, really over the top campaign where we were just gifting people in a unique way. Uh, And that was one of the most impactful projects that I worked on, just in terms of seeing the response rates uh, and the new business that was garnered through that. And that really made me think, oh, I need to find a vendor who can do this for us a lot more. Uh, And I searched for that vendor and really didn't find one. I found a lot of folks who would send wine on our behalf, gift baskets that I knew our prospects didn't want, um, just a bunch of things they're not interested in. Yeah. Nothing that compared to, you know, the campaign that we were working on that took a lot longer and cost a lot more than we had originally planned. And so that gave me the idea that, you know, there's an I have this need, maybe other people do. And so I remember just building a landing page and spending about five dollars a day on Google ads and just wanting to see would anyone bite. Uh, and, you know, a lot of people did. <laughs> <laughs> Take me through then that initial response. I mean, you said you're, you're, you're testing out with a landing page and Google ads, which is obviously a great way to go about it. Just, just test things. And how many people were signing up or how, how was that going in the early days? Yeah, you know, so it wasn't a crazy amount. It was like a few people a day, but they were signing up from large enterprise companies with sales teams similar to the one that I worked on and not just sales teams, but other teams. Uh, And so they had big budgets and they were just signing up without speaking to anyone. Um, I remember adding a payment portal and they started providing their payment information. Uh, And so I was like, okay, people are ready to pay me for this product that I haven't built. Uh, so that's really that was the response that's amazing and then from that then you said you hadn't built it yet you wanted to test it what were some of those next steps you took within the business uh yeah i mean that was i i duct taped something together and i started just putting together gifts fulfilling them myself asking friends and people i knew to help out i remember i posted on craigslist i found some college students uh 
and just try to say yes to as many potential clients as possible and deliver on their campaigns. And there's a lot of trial and error, but that was the initial thing for me before I quit my job, which is getting started. And, and then from that as well, I would love to hear about that at the point where you quit your job, like where was the business at and how did you get to that point of really deciding, okay, let's go all in on this? You know, I think it was like this storm of things where it's like, okay, it was getting very overwhelming to balance that in my day job, which I cared about being amazing at. Uh, and then on top of that, I applied to this really short-term sort of accelerator program for underestimated founders called Transparent Collective. Uh, and, you know, I was able to be a part of that. I was invited to join that cohort. Uh, and just, I think it's like a few day program, but within that time, you know, I built a deck. There was so much that got done. Uh, and I realized I was connected to some VCs, uh, and I knew to pitch them. Almost all of them required that you're committed full time to your startup. Yeah. And so that really accelerated me choosing to go all in. Uh, maybe before I had originally imagined that I would. From that then, how did the fundraising side of things go? Take me through that. Yeah, I mean, initially it was a joy. I really <laughs> I really enjoyed fundraising because <laughs> it was all happening so fast. You know, I started this moonlighting thing. Will it work? Now it's working amazing. Um, I This incredible program that I can't speak highly enough of, Transparent Collective, was just so immersive and get, making me feel like, wow, you know, I'm I'm ready. Uh, and I remember the first investors I pitched, I got yeses really quickly. Wow. Uh, and to be fair, you know, they were writing smaller checks, you know, micro VCs, angels. But it was I get a lot easier <laughs> than it ended up being as I continued. But initially I thought, oh, OK, I can do this. I have a sales background. I have a product. We have revenue. We have nice logos to put on the deck. Yeah. It just it those things were working really well. And so that that period uh was probably the easiest period <laughs> in this startup journey. <laughs> so it was easy at the the start that you said it got more more difficult from there? Yeah, I don't think at the time that I knew it was easy because I was working really hard and things were working. Uh, so I just thought, okay, that's what it feels like to be a founder. You work really hard and things work. Uh, and then, <laughs> and then it turned out, you know, that throughout the journey, there's been plenty of times I've worked really hard and things were not working. Uh, and so now I know that that was an easy period. Yeah. It, it, all relative, right. Compared to other times. Yeah. <laughs> I want to go back, though, to the Transparent Collective. You said it was such a great experience for you. Can you, can you take me through a little bit more of what that consisted of and, and why it was uh, so great for you? Yeah. So, I mean, so Transparent Collective, uh, what they do, they work with underestimated founders. Um, they'll fly you in, you know, if you're outside of the Bay. I was in the Bay at the time, so I didn't fly in. But you really spend like a few days and it's like kind of a almost like a boot camp Um even though that makes it sound a lot more intense than it was, it was just more of a really candid place where a lot of things that uh, may seem obvious to other founders are outlined really clearly and specifically. There's very few kind of assumptions made and you just have an opportunity to really accelerate your pace, get connected, hear candid, not just critiques, uh, but ideas and suggestions. And I don't think there's a ton of forums where founders 
get a lot of candor outside of private networks uh, that are formed prior to folks becoming founders. Uh, And so I really benefited from just having that and having just people providing me help from an objective standpoint of only wanting to be helpful uh, and not wanting to avoid liabilities or offending me or things like that. Yeah. One thing I'm wondering about as well with the business, especially early on, I don't know if it's changed or not, but what has been the business model behind this and how have you decided to, to even price this thing? Yeah, that's a great question. So, I mean, I should clarify that. So with Thank You Kami, what we do is we surprise and delight your employees, your clients, prospects, and strategic partners with unforgettable gifts on your behalf. Um, And our intent with each one is to spark tears of joy. So we work with enterprise sales teams who are gifting prospects. We work with client success teams who gift clients uh, and HR and employee engagement teams to automate all of their gifting. Uh, And so it's like whether someone needs one or 1,000 gifts delivered, whether it's for a specific event or just on an ongoing automated basis, we manage that for them. Uh, When we thought about pricing, I really started, I have an enterprise sales background, so I thought about it very, the way I think someone from a SaaS background would, thinking of what's a monthly commitment level that makes sense for us. Um, how do we keep things consistent and predictable? I knew I wanted to avoid all hidden fees and roll everything into the cost. So not have like, here's a service charge or delivery (laughs) charges in this up and down, uh, inconsistency. And I also knew initially I wanted to build a profitable company sooner rather than later. So I wanted to make sure we weren't, um, just losing a ton of money on every sale. Uh, and so I really looked at what's our cost per gift, what's a normal amount for different user profiles to spend, and just making sure that I put a really healthy margin uh, on there. One of the things, too, that you you mentioned testing this out uh, with Google Ads in the beginning to get a feel for this. At, at that time, even, who were you targeting? <laughs> what, what, what were you targeting in terms of those ads? Yeah, so that was interesting. I went very general, very agnostic. I purposefully made the landing page uh, vague. I just made it about the quality of the gifts uh, and not the use case because I knew I was coming from it from a sales background thinking other sales folks would want to use this, but I didn't want to limit uh, I didn't want to limit the experiment to that. So I created a single one. I made it general uh, and I just looked at who was signing up before figuring out other landing pages and what our user profiles would be. Yeah. And then to that point, I mean, how has that evolved to today in terms of how you look at customer acquisition for Thank You Kindly? Yeah. So, I mean, it's been a huge blessing. I'd say it's two things. Uh, One thing is that customer acquisition has never been a challenge for us. Uh, And I think that's, you know, maybe unique from a startup standpoint. We've always had low customer acquisition costs um, and consistently high uh, LTVs. Uh, And then secondly, I think because we went so general initially and just figuring out who do our users look like, we didn't settle into a really specific niche. And that's really benefited us, particularly now during this pandemic, where, you know, a lot fewer sales teams are sending out gift sets because people are not in their offices. It's a lot more logistically challenging and doesn't always have the same uh, ROI. But instead of that, we're seeing a huge increase in HR and employee engagement teams that are really valuing the talent that they still have uh, and using these gift sets to increase morale, uh, to see referral spikes for open roles that they really need filled, um, and to just ensure that their team is remaining engaged and plugged in. 
Uh, and so because we were never limited to one specific niche, I think it's really insulated us uh, when certain you know, events outside of our control affected uh, some key use cases. Yeah, and I would love to dive a little bit deeper into when obviously this global pandemic situation happened in March or even earlier, depending on where you're at. How did you look at that from business perspective? Perspective in terms of did you make any adjustments? How did you go about that? I would love to hear more about that. Yeah, I mean, I think we just took our first priority. I will say was making sure that what we've already guaranteed, what our what our clients are depending on us for, that we can still fulfill it. So we looked at our processes. How can we make sure that we're fulfilling gifts, that we're uh, taking care of everything we need to take care of in a way that's safe for our team members uh, and that doesn't leave any of our clients hanging? Uh, and so something that was really amazing for us is because we source so intentionally, we source locally, sustainably, uh, we're not getting a bunch of things from abroad that are mass produced, our supply chains were not disrupted. Uh, and we were able to actually fill more gaps in for clients of ours who had trouble procuring things that they needed uh, because of a lot of those supply chain disruptions. On that, on that note as well, uh, take me through what that looks like in terms of the types of gifts or how you're deciding and maybe how that's, how that's changed <laughs> from the beginning to uh, where you're at now. Yes. So we've always been extremely big on personalization, making sure Every gift is one of a kind, just like the people who receive them. And so every gift we give, it's usually based on who the recipient is. It tells a story also about the sender. And so that's why it's so impactful from a sales perspective. You know, we most of our sales campaigns have literally 100% response rates. Uh, <laughs> and it's because... The gifts are really, <laughs> you know, there's these ideas around reciprocity, but I think yeah. it's also because there's also a story to be told. Uh, so we can't sell the, a product for our clients, uh, but we can put together a story that conveys it in a way that connects personally to the person that it's going to. And that's really a big part of where technology plays a role in what we're doing in terms of uh, figuring out people's online presence. Uh, and extrapolating from that what could be impactful and functional for them to receive as well. Uh, and so every single gift we give is really unique. We get so much feedback around people literally crying tears of joy. Uh, and that's why we <laughs> added that part to our mission statement. Uh, and it's it's truly just a feel-good product to work on on a daily basis. That's amazing. Who is the team behind this? I know you, you mentioned we a few times there. How have you gone about building that team? Uh, <laughs> brick by brick. Uh, <laughs> we, I've really, yeah, we've gone brick by brick. We've always been capital efficient. We've had to be lean and scrappy. Uh, and so most of the team members, you know, started part-time and temp positions. And we just grew as business became, as business grew. Uh, and as things became more steady and as there was uh, more bandwidth or as we, as we needed more bandwidth, I should say. Yeah, and what, with that, and the, and the team note is that's obviously a huge part of any company. It's really building the right team. What do you what do you look for in people that you're hiring? That's a really great question, and it's developed over time. You know, I think for a lot of founders, or at least I should say for me, hiring has been something I just continuously learn about uh, and how to hire, and then also how to manage and support team members in growing and developing as well. Uh, some of the key things that I know are major for us is that we have put a really high emphasis on creativity uh, because of 
the nature of what we're doing. We're a machine, we use machine learning, uh, but I don't think that we fit into some of the assumptions people have about what that means for a company. We take a really contrarian approach to how tech is used. Uh, we don't think about it as being a replacement. We don't think about it as being a threat to any livelihoods in the context of what we're building. We think of it as actually being a complement to better livelihoods, to supporting artisans and creative trades, uh, and to really just being a, a force for good in what we're building and allowing us to operate more sustainably. And so as far as hiring, we really look for creativity. We look for people who are passionate about what we're building at Thank You Kindly, who love giving good gifts <laughs> uh, <laughs> and really just enjoy the impact of that. Uh, folks who are extremely detail-oriented. You know, Justin, you don't want to receive a gift where your name is misspelled in one of the Ooh. engravings. Yeah, and that might be a small mistake, you know, in one sense, but that means a lot to you. And um, so really detail oriented, really creative. We don't actually put a heavy weight on having experience in the tech industry for many of our key roles. And we do hire outside of San Francisco and always have since day one. I love that as well. And we have a diverse team that way as well. And on the note of creativity, though, what does that look like? Or what would it look like in someone you might hire uh, as an example of like the creativity side or how you screen for that? Yeah, one key way we do is we do brainstorming initially, like on calls. We do brainstorming activities because that's something consistently across the team we do. Uh, if folks have experience, you know, taking improv classes or things of that nature, that's really helpful for us. Uh, and we also, we spend a lot of time talking through how people receive and respond to feedback, because I think that's a huge part of creative trades that is missing in a lot of other technical ones. Uh, and so there's a lot of folks who, you know, maybe are extremely competent for the role, but likely wouldn't enjoy it because in our creative process, there is so much iteration that occurs. Uh, and sometimes that's with our clients being involved in requesting changes to gifts proposed. But oftentimes it's internally as we uh, take time brainstorming together, scrapping ideas, moving them along um, and just figuring it out. Yeah. And, and for you as well, then, how has your your role as, as founder CEO evolved from the early days with the landing page and, and Google ads to, to today with having a team as well? How has your role changed in terms of what you spend your time on today? Yeah, I think a huge part of the change is how much time I spend investing in the other people on my team. Uh, I think initially I spent so much time doing the work, working independently, uh, really just doing a little bit of everything. Uh, and now I spend a lot more time figuring out what's a sustainable, repeatable process. How could I make sure that I'm developing the people who report to me uh, or not developing them myself, but investing in their development? How can I make sure that I'm enabling them to do more, uh, to expand their bandwidth? So I think uh, the key thing in terms of my role is just that I've had to be intentional about scaling myself. And that is not something I was doing initially. I was yeah. initially, I was in more intentional about scaling my individual, very literal, tangible skill sets. Is there anything that's been helpful for you on that note of, of learning to scale yourself, maybe delegate more, anything that's been helpful around that? 
Yes, I think one key thing that's been helpful around that is just soliciting proactively a lot more feedback from my team and also sharing a lot more, uh, just doubling down. I think I've always been transparent by nature because I'm a candid person, but doubling down on spending more time breaking out my thought process on what we're doing, where we're going, and being very repetitive about it. Uh, I've, I've learned a lot about the value of repetition and just enabling people to remember why they're doing what they're doing or what you were thinking when you <laughs> assign that task or set that goal and reiterating it, even if you think it's not likely to be forgotten. Yeah. And and with your role as well, I mean, you, you've done this for a, a few years now with this company, but you weren't a founder previously. I know you mentioned that the Transparent Collective was was helpful for you. Was there anything else uh, in the last number of years, whether it be any other groups you're part of or anything else that's been, been helpful for you as a, as a first-time founder? Absolutely. I mean, so uh, Elizabeth Yin at Hustle Fund has a blog that I think is amazing. And I think any first-time founder should just spend time perusing it. Uh, uh, as far as just other things, you know, I did the first cohort of the On Deck Fellowship, and that was helpful just in being surrounded by lots of other founders um, and folks who weren't founders yet but were tinkering. I think building community is really powerful uh, just in realizing, not necessarily for me as far as getting tactical advice, uh, but just in being less isolated with some of these really challenging founder problems. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Being, being alone going through this would be a much different scenario. Everyone needs some help in, in some regard. And I've heard a little bit about the On Deck Fellowship. Can you tell me more about what that entailed and kind of your experience there? Yeah. Uh, so I was in the first cohort. I think by now it's changed significantly. <laughs> so I want to be transparent that I'm, I may not be aware of all the changes. Uh, but initially, I know it was just really getting together a group of folks who were had recently founded companies or were considering it uh, or who were eager to join some early stage companies. Uh, and there was regular activities, um, you know, even smaller cohorted ones. And I know that they were really intentional about figuring out how to get a group of folks together, you know, break them down into smaller groups and facilitate uh, conversations that would drive home some key learnings that would be helpful uh, for people really just in the early stages of executing an, on an idea. Yeah. And how did you end up choosing them? I mean, you're a part of the first cohort, so they didn't have one before. So I don't know. Like, how did you decide on, on taking the risk per se of, of, of joining them? That's a really amazing question, especially because I actually don't know. <laughs> I, <laughs> Uh, I remember receiving uh, an invite and it was like, congratulations, you've been invited. And I did not recall applying, uh, but the, <laughs> the name of the program was so familiar. So I figure I had. And I remember that was in a period of time when I had made a commitment to myself that, OK, I need to scale intentionally as a founder and I need to figure out how to do it without spending a bunch of money. <laughs> on coaches and programs that yeah. uh, I can't devote budget to. So I remember in that period, I had started just applying to a lot of things that seemed like they could potentially be helpful. And I figured, depending on which ones, you know, I get an invitation to join, 
I can decide then if I think it will be the most helpful. So I think during that period, I must have seen it somewhere online and filled out the form just as I did many others. Uh, and it's when I got that invitation email that I really did more research to figure out if this could be a really valuable use of my time. If this is a little just kind of changing topics a little bit here, but if you would have, you know, someone would have told you maybe 10 years ago that you'd be a founder CEO, would you, would you believe them? Yes. <laughs> Did you always want to be a founder or is there something that more recently? Uh, I always wanted to be a founder. Uh, I, I wanted to originally when I went to, when I was in high school uh, and I remember applying to colleges, I knew that I wanted to be a founder. I thought for sure that I wanted to be in the fintech space. I was really passionate about poverty eradication. Uh, and I was really passionate about the areas of microfinance. And that was the space that I just knew that I wanted to work in. Uh, things went a little differently. <laughs> I didn't totally <laughs> stick to FinTech, but I still have a really strong passion uh, for poverty eradication and seeing how technology can be used to facilitate that. Yeah, it is interesting how technology is impacting like almost every space. <laughs> I mean, really every mm -hmm. space. Like I've had just so many different people on the show from from different industries, and it gives a broad kind of view then of things when everyone's working on their specific company within their industry. When you look at them, take a step back at all of them, it's like wow, technology is really impacting everything. More recently, I think a number of ones in healthcare, but interesting too of 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 just being so many of them doing different things as industries that are, have been the same for so many years. It's kind of like they're just ripe for disruption in some capacity, which is a cliche to say, but it's true. Um, and, yep. and, and, and from that as well. So then you've been running this company for a number of, number of years, obviously made a lot of progress. What's next for thank you kindly? A lot. <laughs> I mean, so we're operating in a really large market. We're committed to just creating more value, um, owning more of that market share, continuing to build out our technology uh, and, re and really doubling down on the amount of jobs that we can create and not just jobs, but actually good jobs uh, and making sure that we're hiring from a pool of applicants that I believe are overlooked and underestimated uh, and training folks in roles that I also believe are overlooked and underestimated. We're really passionate about reskilling, uh, about creative trades uh, and about building out uh, opportunities for folks who've been left outside of the job market to reskill themselves and to become some more of the artisans that we're sourcing a lot of these really incredible pieces from. To that point as well, in terms of finding those those people and those those different artisans, how do you actually find them? Uh, every which way possible. Uh, people tell us <laughs> about them. I go I go to markets. Uh, we look them up. We find them on social media. A lot of folks reach out now and just say, you know, hey, I've been I've been doing this, and I think this is these are really cool pieces we're making. Could they be included in gift sets? Uh, I'm constantly asking. Uh, so that's really how we've been finding so far in terms of pre-existing artisans. Uh, but then in terms of, you know, pilot programs, we're retraining folks in creative trades. Uh, the ones we have lined up on schedule, uh, we're really sourcing through programs that just uh, nonprofits and other government run programs where folks are being supported and reentering the job market. Yeah. And, and with your journey as well, have there been any particular books, whether it be personal or professional, that have been helpful for you? Yes. So I'm not very big on like uh, business books per se, but I love memoirs 
and so one that I recommend and enjoy is called The Choice. Uh, and while it's, it's definitely not about finding a business, uh, I think the message in it, which really is a focus on, you know, the choices we make and the really doubling down on possibility is one that shines through in how I approach building Thank You Kindly. Yeah. And, and there are I mean, like people, books, uh, podcasts, there's so many things that can be influential for, for founders. I find it fascinating just to hear more about what's affected people to get to this point, because there's many ways to build a business, many ways to go about it. And everyone has their own kind of journey within that. And and as you've gone about this as well, uh, it can be all consuming having a startup. How do you recharge? Uh, <laughs> that's a great question. I do lots of things. Uh, I dance. I eat really delicious food. I sleep. Uh, <laughs> Important. <laughs> uh, yes, I make floral arrangements. I paint. Uh, I spend a lot of time with people who care about me. Uh, but I think one of the key things that I do that is really underestimated is uh, that I don't just live inside this bubble of the Bay Area tech community. Uh, and so I don't I don't limit my friendships and my relationships to ones that have a direct connection to the space and what we're working on. Uh, and I believe that that helps me to not have tunnel vision uh, and to not feel really stuck in seeing stakes higher than they are for my company uh, and what I do professionally. I spend a lot of time with people who just do not understand machine learning or a lot of the technology that we're focusing on or building and aren't that interested in it. Uh, and truthfully, it's helpful for me because then I'm not talking about it all the time. Yeah. Yeah. When it's a 24 seven thing. Yeah. <laughs> How do you go about that? How do you approach that then in terms of finding those people or making sure you surround yourself with kind of a diverse group in that way? Yeah, well, I think that's what a lot of underestimated founders actually may have an easier time with, right? There's so much time spent on talking about limited access to networks um, and to mentors and to people in the space uh, that can cut you a break. Uh, and of course, that's a problem. And I'm excited about a lot of solutions that exist for that, like the Majira Project and Transparent Collective and other programs. Uh, but I also think, you know, there's a gift in me not just being a uh, stuck in some exclusive 24-7 club <laughs> yeah. of people who are really, you know, who have turned technology into this all-consuming um, thing and such a core uh, part of their identity. I respect that if that's what you do. But for me, who I am is not what I do. And my company is not my child. It's not my baby. It's something that I care a lot about. Uh, but for my own mental health and fortitude and peace of mind, I really do separate uh, my worthiness and my joy from my uh, professional performance. Have you always thought that way or was there something that was impactful for you to get to that 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 thinking? Because it is different from what I guess a lot of people would think. I'm curious as to how you've gotten to, to this point. Uh, yes. I think because, you know, year two of, you know, building this company, I had uh, some serious personal crises uh, with my health and just other things in my life that I had no control over. Uh, and it was just a very difficult time. And I think it also placed uh, a lot of what I'm building into perspective in terms of the importance of it. Uh, and so I think the gift in that period of time uh, where professionally things were not going great, but that was the least of my worries. Uh, yeah. 
I, I think that just uh, completely changed my priorities uh, and my viewpoint on my profession and also my life. Uh, and I think it was a healthy change that I came out of that with. From that change, was it something where you just made note of mentally like, okay, well, I'm, I'm definitely never going to allow that to happen again in terms of how you think about your business or did you, did you journal, uh, journal about that or how did you kind of go forward from that experience? Yeah, that's, I love that you mentioned journaling. I did journal about that. I also saw that you journaled, Justin. Yeah, I do. I love it. Yeah, you journal outside. I saw that. Yeah, I, <laughs> I journal by a good window. Uh, I, I did. I journaled that. I, I think it just sunk in in a really tangible way because of just what was going on in my life and how irrelevant um, <laughs> some of the things I would have worried about at any other stage were. Uh, I just remember how much it would affect me if we ever had a client who not even was upset, but was just neutral <laughs> on maybe a campaign that I thought was incredibly thoughtful and that I saw had results that just no other vendor would provide in terms of response rates and you know uh, the impact that it was having financially for them, the ROI. And when I would see those underwhelming client reactions, I remember initially it was challenging for me. I would care. I cared a lot about making sure that we were going above and beyond in every single case and that people were wowed and amazed and truly delighted and that not being a cliche. And I think it's important to care about that, uh, but not to be discouraged uh, when you don't hit perfection every single time. Uh, and so I just remember, you know, during, you know, year two, when personally there was, a, I was going through a lot um, out of my control. I remember when we'd have those same situations uh, and it would hit a little different. It wouldn't bother me because I just thought, well, I've got, <laughs> we did well enough. <laughs> yeah. I've got to make sure that I'm healthy and well and taking care of, you know, these huge life events in my life. Uh, and suddenly, you know, the importance of it just shrunk. And I just thought, man, why couldn't I do that? Uh, when I, before, uh, and and not when I didn't have these other issues to manage and how much more joyful would that period have been, right? Like even when yeah. I talked about how easy it was initially just getting started and the momentum, you know, of those first uh, fundraising calls, I didn't know that that was easy, right? So I couldn't even soak it up and celebrate it to the degree that maybe I would now. Um, and I don't, I don't regret not knowing what I didn't know, but I do feel like I, benef I benefit from the information that I have now and from the distance that I have um, from what I'm doing. Yeah, and those those challenges, and they give you so much perspective. I just talked to someone this morning on the show that went through the 08 financial crisis when they had a business and went through a divorce with that and their business was basically almost had shut down. All these okay. different things that, you know, mm -hmm. going through that, you come out the other side and you're like, wait a minute. I'm not afraid to fail anymore. I'm not like, yeah. this isn't everything mm -hmm. because you go through a <laughs> yes. lot of, you know, stuff and you're like, well, there's more life. And I think it's, uh, <laughs> I don't know who it was that said this, but someone basically, uh, something around the lines of, you know, having your identity wrapped up in one thing is just never good because we're so multifaceted as a human being uh, to just have mm -hmm. it wrapped up in business is, is ne never the, the, the best of things uh, mm -hmm. mentally for you and everything. And I always kind of have, taking that to heart as well and trying to be not just one thing <laughs> that defines you mm -hmm. as a human being. And and as we kind of wrap things up, uh, you mentioned kind of underrepresented founders. Is there any advice or, or takeaways you'd want to give to any other underrepresented founders out there? Yeah. I, I mean, I think a key one 
that I feel is underappreciated um, and not centered in a lot of conversation is just how uniquely gifted a lot of us are to do exactly what we do. Uh, for example, in the case of Thank You Kindly, I know that initially when we were launching um, our just initial beta um, and out there fundraising, there was so much talk about another you know, startup in the space. Uh, they raised exponentially <laughs> more money than us. Uh, they definitely outnetworked us. Uh, and they're not even operating today. Wow. Uh, and I think that has to do with the fact, of course, we were locked out of access to the same amount of capital that they were, right? Uh, and when they were fundraising, as far as our numbers and traction, we were outpacing them significantly, but we didn't have, we didn't fit that same pattern that I think, candidly, a lot of the investors we spoke to said was important to them um, and why they made, you know, key decisions in, you know, betting on one horse. Uh, but it, there was a gift in being locked out of some of that capital and that we operate extremely efficiently. Uh, and we had a really clear path to profitability from day one. Uh, and I, I think that's what a lot of, I think, so I think there was a gift, right? in that limitation. And I think that's just one example of many, right? We use machine learning, but we really take a contrarian approach um, to to how we implement it and how we execute and how we think about you know humans in the loop uh, and how we value creativity in our hiring process and the backgrounds that we look at and who we believe is capable of doing the jobs that we have open at our company. And, and it's very different, say, than other competitors in this space. It's actually a core strength of ours. And I think the reason it's so different is because the Thank You Kindly is founded by someone who comes from a background that's underrepresented in this space. <laughs> I'm talking of, you know, myself. Yeah. Uh, and so I think for a lot of underestimated founders, it's important to know that there's a gift in being underestimated and your identity is not a disadvantage in and of itself. For me, I believe that my identity puts me at an advantage in doing exactly what I'm uniquely gifted to do at Thank You Kindly on a daily basis. I love that. And I, yeah, it's like something where you, everyone has their unique abilities and unique gifts and just kind of leveraging that. Yeah. I love it so much. Where can people go to learn more about Thank You Kindly and also connect with you if they would like to? They can go to www.thankyoukind.ly. They can also message me on LinkedIn or anywhere else. Uh, they can DM us on Instagram. Uh, if you're making beautiful pieces, if you have a thought, if you're building something and you want some really candid feedback, feel free to reach out. Uh, but if you ask for candid feedback, <laughs> <laughs> uh, please just bear in mind that we I can't always be as responsive as I'd like to be, but I will respond. I appreciate that. It just may take a little bit of time. Well, the realities of life now. <laughs> There's so many as founders are very busy as well. But I appreciate that openness as well. And and thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Justin, for you know having this podcast and this forum for candid uh, conversations. I really enjoy listening. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. If you want to follow along on the socials for all things Just Go Grind and with me as well. Find Just Go Grind on Instagram and Twitter at Just Go Grind. You can find me on Twitter at JustinGordon212. Find me on Instagram, JustinGordon8. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day.